It's a pleasure to have you here this morning at Cornerstone Church. And we are going to now look at the Word of God. We are in the book of Galatians. We're going to read from verses 10 through 12, but our text is actually verses 11 and 12. But just to give a little bit of context, the verse that we looked last week, looked at last week was verse 10. So beginning in verse 10, for I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. For I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel which I am proclaiming as good news is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for your word. God, thank you for the clarity of it that we can know by the illumination of your spirit and through proper interpretation, comparing scripture with scripture and seeing things in context. God, we can know what you have said for you have spoken and you've spoken clearly. And God, we thank you for what this book reveals, what it unveils to us the person of Christ in all his glory, the gospel of grace. And I pray, God, that we would be challenged this morning, that we would never try to add to what you've done, somehow thinking that by keeping a set of laws or keeping the Mosaic covenant, that we are adding anything to our salvation. God, help us to see things in the proper perspective. Open our eyes to your truth, for it is glorious. It is life-changing. And we thank you for it this morning and pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul in this epistle is writing to the churches of Galatia, churches that he had established on his first missionary journey by the preaching of the gospel preaching to a people who, through the gospel, had received God's grace, but now were listening to the Judaizers, professing Jewish converts who said, yes, you must be saved by faith, but you must also be circumcised and keep the Mosaic Covenant. So in verse 1, Paul begins by reminding them of his apostleship and that he was not sent from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And by the way, you might want to open your Bibles and not just depend on the screen, especially when it comes to this first chapter of Galatians. In verse 3, he announces grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that salvation is by the grace of God alone. And peace with God is the result of salvation. So God is the source of both grace and peace. Paul wrote to the Ephesians that God had lavished on them the riches of his grace upon those whom he had chose before the foundation of the world. 
And God's grace now overflows to all who are in Christ Jesus. God's favor superabounds. It overflows on all those who believe. But also notice the addition to the name of Christ in verse 3. Remember in verse 1, Paul called him Jesus Christ, meaning saving Messiah. But because God has raised him from the dead, verse 3, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he was raised by the power of God, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies, where he reigns above all with his church in willing submission to him, and where he makes intercession for the saints. Then in verses 4 and 5, we see the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It was God's will that Jesus give himself for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So not only did God give his son as a sin offering, Jesus willingly gave himself for our sins as our sin offering. A familiar passage in 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul writes to those in Corinth, he, speaking of the Father, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, the Father treated the Son as if he had committed our sins so that he could treat us just as his son is worthy to be treated. Therefore, Romans 8, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. What the law could not do, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Because the work of Christ is sufficient and glorious. Paul then in verses 1, uh, verses Galatians 1, 6, and 7 marvels that they were so quickly deserting him, him meaning God, who had called them by the grace of Christ. Paul was astonished. Why would the Galatians who had received the Lord Jesus be influenced by basically to add anything to what Christ had done? As if the work of Christ is insufficient. That's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. It's unthinkable. But notice here, Paul says that that Christ called them by his grace. Christ did not call them by their works. He did not call them by their keeping of the law. He called them by his grace, his unmerited, unearned favor. Then in verses 8 and 9, Paul twice pronounces anathema. 
an eternal curse on anyone who preaches any other gospel, which according to verse Verse 7 is really not another gospel. It's not another of the same kind, but a different gospel altogether. A perversion of the gospel is not a gospel at all. It leaves the person in bondage to sin and death, to guilt, to misery, to despair, and eternal judgment. No wonder Paul announces anathema on anyone who preaches any other gospel. Last week, we saw in verse 10 that Paul was not seeking the favor of men, but the favor of God. And this was evidenced by the fact that he was a slave of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ was his Lord. He was his slave. We also saw from Scripture that all true believers are willing slaves of Jesus Christ. Because if Christ is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. Today, we pick up in verse 11, where Paul continues. For I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel which I'm proclaiming as good news is not according to man. Paul here addresses the Galatians as brothers. These are his children in the faith. He had personally preached the gospel to them as much as two years prior, and they had believed But he is writing to them now when they are deserting him, meaning God, who had called them by the grace of Christ. So Paul begins here, for I make known to you, brothers. The Greek word translated, I make known, gorizo, is a strong verb. It means to make known with certainty. Or to certify, it was used to introduce an important or emphatic statement. We would do something similar today if we said, let me make it perfectly clear. So Paul, in essence, writes, let me make it perfectly clear or let me certify that the gospel which I am proclaiming is good, not, good news is not according to man. Paul says the gospel I preach is not human not human in nature or authority. Paul did not invent the gospel. He had not added anything to it or taken anything away. He had not altered the gospel in any form or fashion. The gospel is divine, divine in origin. It has no mixture of human wisdom. The gospel is the wisdom of God and the power of God unto salvation. If Paul had proclaimed the gospel according to man, he would certainly have included works in it. That's the very definition of every religious system devised by man. All man-made religion is works-oriented and works. Or I should say, let me say that again. All man-made religion is works-oriented and man-centered. Therefore, it glorifies man and robs God of his glory. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God-centered, and it glorifies God. We've already seen in verses 4 and 5 that the gospel is according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Man's pride is offended by the idea that we're helpless to save ourselves or that we cannot add anything to our salvation, that only God's mercy and grace can save us from our sins. 
It is with pride that man, that man demands that we have some part in salvation. But the fact that Paul preached the gospel of grace alone was the undisputed evidence that his message was from God and not from man, nor had it been altered by man. Verse 12, the first part, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. That statement is in direct contradiction to the practice of the Judaizers who followed rabbinic tradition rather than the scriptures, who followed the interpretations of man and who were taught by men. They were taught by men rather than searching the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. While their teachings were based on some truth, they distorted the word of God by their own interpretations. Today, many, like the Judaizers, many professing believers live by their man-made traditions, which corrupt the clear teachings of Scripture and distort the gospel of grace. Many, like the Pharisees, invalidate the word of God for the sake of their tradition. Matthew 15, 6. But Paul's preaching had no basis in human wisdom. His message was not according to to the traditions of men. His message was from God and unto the glory of God. He writes in verse 12, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. The Greek word translated neither is ude, meaning not even. The idea is, for I not even received it, meaning the gospel, from man, nor was I taught it. Although Paul was a Pharisee, according to the strictest sect of Jewish religion, Acts 26, and he was taught by Gamaliel, a prominent first century Jewish rabbi, he did not receive the gospel from any man nor did anyone teach him the gospel. Actually, Paul discarded every unscriptural teaching that he had received in Judaism. If anyone, though, had reason to boast in Judaism, it would have been the Apostle Paul. If anyone had reason to follow Jewish tradition, it would be the Apostle Paul. But everything that was according to the flesh Paul counted as rubbish, Philippians 3. You see, the gospel is not the invention of man, nor is it transmitted to Paul by any man. As we continue in verse 12, Paul gives us the divine source of the gospel. Let's read the verse. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is the Greek word, apocalypsis, unveiling or uncovering. The idea is the uncovering of something previously hidden. Notice the gospel was received through a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the saving Messiah, is the object of that very revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is the good news. He is salvation. We are, and we know that in him is life. 
and the life is the light of men, John 14, or John 1, 4, excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Understand, it was not Paul. It was not that Paul had a previous, it's not that he did not have a previous knowledge of Christ, for he had persecuted Christ by persecuting his people. But it was through a personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Acts 9, that the Savior revealed. He unveiled himself to Paul as the saving Messiah. It was as he approached Damascus that Paul received the supernatural truth of the gospel. Although Paul had been set apart from his mother's womb, it was on that road that he encountered the Mashiach and God saved him. So not only was Paul called to be an apostle, he received the gospel message through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In the next 12 verses, Paul proves his claim here by presenting in those verses irrefutable evidence of that divine revelation and of his apostolic credentials. We will begin to exegete those verses next week. But in the remainder of our time, I would like to relate our text to the overall theme of this epistle, as well as to the whole of New Covenant revelation. The good news is the revelation of Jesus Christ, as we've seen. Jesus Christ is the good news. Salvation is found in him and him alone. It is by his grace. In Christ, we receive God's grace. In Christ, we are saved from sin. We're saved out of this evil world system. We're saved from the wrath to come. In Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In Christ, we are holy and blameless before God. In Christ, we have been sun-placed as children of God. In Christ, we have redemption. We've been bought out of the bondage of sin. We have forgiveness. In Christ, we are free from the slavery to the law and to every religious system. In John 8, Jesus himself said, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I don't know about you this morning, but I am free from the bondage of trying to appease God by my own helpless efforts, and it's all by Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writes, for it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. And then he says this, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be no benefit to you. If you buy in to the teaching of the Judaizers, if you add anything to the work of Christ, Christ is no benefit to you. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 3.20, By the works of the law, no flesh. By the works of the law, no flesh. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
All that the law can do for us is to show us our need. It cannot save. It is all by God's grace. It is all the free gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is received through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. End of story. There's nothing else. That's it. Stop trying to earn your salvation. You are free from the bondage of trying to perfectly keep God's law in order to be accepted by him. You are free from every so-called religious system. Your salvation from beginning to end is in Christ and Christ alone. Understand, this does not mean that we're free to live in sin. Sin itself is bondage. That's what Christ saves us from. Salvation is salvation from sin, but you are free to live unto the glory of God. By the power of the Spirit who indwells you, if you're a believer, you are free to live as you were created to live, to reflect the image of the invisible God, to live for righteousness, to glorify the true and living God. But how can this be? How can this possibly be? How can a sinner be set free to live for the glory of God? Here's the reason Hebrews tells us, other text tells us, Jesus Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Unlike the covenant that God made with Moses, unlike that covenant, that the children of Israel could not keep because of their stony hearts. Yes, he is the mediator of a new covenant. He is the guarantee of a better covenant, a covenant by which God has put his laws into our minds and has written them. One text even says, engrave them on our hearts. A covenant by which he is our God. And we are his people, as we sang earlier, a covenant by which the spirit of God, Christ himself indwells in us and empowers us to walk as Christ walked, empowers us to walk in righteousness, to walk in love, to walk in light and to walk in wisdom. And it's by this covenant, God has made the first covenant obsolete. You see, it's only good to show us our sinfulness to show us our need for Christ, to be a schoolmaster, a tutor, to point us to Jesus Christ. That is all the law does. God has made the old covenant obsolete. How did he do this? We've already read it in Romans 8, but this time we'll begin in verse 3. For what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. You see, it's all about what God did. It's all to the glory of God. What the law could not do as weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How did he do it? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Stop trying 
to earn God's favor by keeping the law. Stop trying to appease God by keeping some man-made religious rules. Look to Christ. Trust in him. But you say, I believed in him to save me. But I have no power to live for his glory. My life is not changed. And I ask you, have you trusted him? Both as Savior and Lord. Have you trusted in a Savior who is not your Lord? May it never be. Ladies and gentlemen, do you not understand? He is risen from the dead. He is Lord of heaven and earth and all who dwell therein. He is the sovereign Lord and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, glo- to the, to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Because he is Lord, because he intercedes for us, those who look to him, those who trust in him are empowered by the spirit of God to live as Christ lived, to walk as he walked. The command is this, believe in the Lord Jesus Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We see it all over in Scripture. Surely, if he's worthy to be your Savior, he's worthy to be your Lord. Do not think that you can choose a part of him and reject the other part. He is both Savior. The word Jesus means Savior. He's the saving Mashiach, and he is Lord. English theologian, author, Bible teacher, pastor, A.W. Pink wrote this. We do not ask, is Christ your Savior, but is he really and truly your Lord? If he be not your Lord, then most certainly he is not your Savior. Those who have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and yet suppose him to be their Savior are deluded and their hope rests on a foundation of sand, end of quote. See, faith is not just praying a prayer. Faith is not just believing the facts about Jesus. It's not even believing in your mind that he died and was buried and rose again. Salvation is by grace through faith, and faith is trust. It is confidence, a total confidence in the one who is both Savior and Lord. It's coming to the end of ourselves, turning from our sins, turning from this evil world system and looking unto the Son of God who is both Savior and Lord. If he's not your Lord, he has never been your Savior. Do not believe the lies of modern-day Christianity or so-called Christianity. You see, this is why the command is to repent and believe. Saving faith by nature is repentant faith, and that repentance connects to the issue of his lordship. What does the scripture say? I quoted A.W. Pink, but really the authorities with the scripture. What does the scripture say? Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. 
And the Lord's not just looking for some verbal recognition. And we know that because of what he says next. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he has risen from the dead and he is Lord. You see, Psalm 2 connects his resurrection with his lordship because he is raised from the dead by the power of God. He is Lord of heaven and earth and we will bow before him. That's the word of God. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, leading to righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, leading to salvation. Is he your Lord? If he is not your Lord, he has never been your Savior We need to get away from American gospel and get back to the word of the living God and preach the word of the word of God, live the word of God, obey the word of God. I want to challenge you right now that we would all bow our heads for just a moment and consider your heart before God. Have you truly believed upon him, trusted him as your Lord and Savior. He is both. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. The word of God, not me, commands you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, and you will be saved. Father, thank you, God, for who your son truly is. He is not a savior that cannot save that cannot change lives, that cannot change hearts. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. And by his power, his resurrection power, we are ourselves empowered to walk in newness of life. God, continue to change us and conform us to your image. And if there's a person here that has never trusted in you as Lord and Savior, may they do that this very moment. And then make it known later after the service. In Jesus' name, amen. We close our service by remembering the Lord's death looking ahead to his second coming, but primarily looking back to his death. And we remember it by two elements that the word of God gives us that pictures Christ and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. 
the unleavened bread represents his sinless body. Christ was without sin. He never sinned. He never sassed his mother. He never broke the law of God. He never did anything against the nature of God. He was without sin. And so we use unleavened bread because leaven represents sin in the Bible. We use unleavened bread and we use wine and grape juice for those who prefer. The wine represents the blood of Christ. And see, a covenant was, in a sense, authenticated by the shedding of blood. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. The bitterness of the wine represents God's justice poured out upon him, and the sweetness represents abundant blessings. So Jesus Christ, by shedding his blood, took God's full wrath, the wrath that we deserve, that we might have his abundant blessings. If you're born again, we welcome you here at Cornerstone Church to partake with us. But if you don't know him, if you have heard this message and you still have not bowed before him as Savior and Lord, have not trusted him, then please let it pass you by. This is for believers only. But for those of us that are children of God, there may be even a more stern warning. And that is that we are not to partake in an unworthy manner. We're not to partake with sin in our lives that is unconfessed. We're not to partake with our hearts distracted by the things of the world, or even focusing on the elements themselves and not what they represent. Our hearts must be focused upon him. This is worship. This is the culmination of our worship service every Lord's Day. It is a declaration of the gospel. It pictures the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I challenge you now to take a few moments to examine yourselves, and so will I, that we might not partake in an unworthy manner. Let's pray.
So through prayer, yes, deal with any sin issues that you might be struggling with. Repent, confess, and accept God's forgiveness. But maybe even more importantly, deal with your purpose and your heart in your worship in this communion service. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.